Blog Talk Radio.
in Macomb, uh, Western uh, University. So I, I appreciate that. And what I found with this presentation is that quite often the feedback I get is people are really surprised. They tell me things like, they did not learn about this when they were in school, they didn't learn about this from textbooks, hadn't heard about this. And I think it's really important, especially again in terms of black liberation struggle, for movements now to know that we're connected to this history and how significant it is. And it's not something, as we referenced earlier today, in terms of Hollywood movies or even uh, historical texts. Uh, there is a real living, breathing history that we can draw upon that's still there, and it still influences our movements today. So with that, I'll turn it over to you, Bob, and I really appreciate you coming here, coming to San Diego, making this trip down here. And I know we're going to have an amazing presentation. You're not doing the, the PowerPoint, um, but we put out the part about slavery and the current project you're working on with all African People's Revolutionary Party. And so thank you for coming here and sharing with us. We first want to explain the wiretap. <laughs> I've been wiretap almost all of my life. My police they say they take us, they stole the membership record of Chicago Congress, Congress and Rachel Cross. So because of the technological shift and changes, we now have the capacity to link up worldwide. Incoming calls. But we have networks and literally countries throughout the world. And every place is that at least one guerrilla radio station, one radio station, one you know, block talk radio station. Call rejected. Local, 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 local,
five people in Goma, the Congo. There's five people in Conakry, Guinea. There's five people in Baghdad. In many ways, talking about struggling about the same issue. Different perspectives and different kinds of ways. So this was kind of the last minute coming here. It wasn't planned. In, in the sense of long-term planning and working on the last minute, getting this coming together, areas of section, whether it's not. We asked Darwin to discuss it with the local coalition the group to see if it could be broadcast live. All it takes is a telephone. It, it, it has worked. If the quality goes up and down, depending upon the configuration, we really didn't have more than a couple okay. of days to put the notice out. But we don't quite know how many are online. If it works out well, we'll pick it back and hook it up with networks all over the world and move it forward. So in that sense, it's kind of an experiment. It's kind of trying to see if we can now use net technology for the movement instead of against the movement. We had back and forth because we wasn't quite sure when they said the chairman of house. We didn't know quite what that situation was because we don't want to invade people's privacy and we want to respect, you know, a house. So we were kind of cautious and second thoughts about whether we should even try to do this because we didn't know whose house it was. As a former pamphlet, I'm happy. I met him. I heard the old music. The only thing we was missing was Bobby Seale with the barbecue. <laughs> and whatnot, just in terms of the kind of history and the back and forth. And we tried to joke about it so we don't have to try too long. So I tell you, really what this open wire is. And the possibility and the potential for it to be heard all over the world. We took one out. We didn't really try to open it up to the question and answer period because we don't have the capacity to take the question and answer from all over the world. We just don't have that technology hooked up yet. And we thought it would kind of be a little disrespectful to take questions here and not get cussed out from Baghdad or T. Hiram or Court Joburg or, you know, how do you? make it a bit more democratic, a bit more humane, and whatnot. So that's to try to explain this open lot. So kind of be careful. If you don't want to hear don't say it. A mistake was made two weeks ago. I thought we were not live. They didn't tell me we were live. I almost went Jerry Springs. I said things that were the truth, but if I know we were live, I would have said them. I ain't apologizing to nobody. Just kind of know it's mm-hmm. live. And we can move on. We came to speak about a particular project. It's too long to talk about the party and the history. and We can't do that in this shorter time period. We have a particular project that we are working on right now. Perhaps some of you know that in 2001, there was something called the World Conference Against Racism in Durban, South Africa. End of August, September 2001, 
more than 18,000 representatives of NGOs from every corner of the world wrote in to discuss the question of racism, racial discrimination, xenophobia, and their latest empowerment. Under the sponsorship of the United Nations, the United States, more than 3,000 representatives of NGOs for the nation came. I did not go with them. They went this way, I went that way. Because many of them went on four foundations paid for Rockefeller, MacArthur, Stewart, Bot, CIA, and other kinds of payroll. I had no intentions. If I don't speak to you in the United States, why should I speak to you in Germany? If we don't agree here, what makes you think that we will agree over there? So they went to East Africa and West Africa airlines. They went, I went up to Germany, down to Ethiopia, crawled through Hawaii, and then snuck into Joburg. Over 400 African, African individuals in the United States, a group called the Durban 400, organized by the Olaplumna and the December 12th movement in New York City, Conrad Warwell and the National Black United Front. They went direct, I went around, I didn't even speak to them. I went representing the All African People's Revolutionary Party, which has stood since then. But it is the International Indian Treaty Council and the American Indian Movement that gave me credentials UN to get onto the compound. Thanks to Andrea Carmen, Bill Means, Vernon Bellicor, the International Indian Treaty Council, the American Indian Movement. It's a little local organization that do police brutality work then and other stuff headed by a man named Lester Lewis called the Hackney Black People's Association of London. They flew me in. I went representing the Pan-Africanist Congress of Azania, one of the original liberation movements who fought to liberate Azania. In 63, 3,000 high school students who were the guerrillas in South Africa in 63 were arrested and put in jail in, in uh, Robben Island. They built Nelson Mandela slept in. Wicks and rocks during the day and play football, soccer ball, illegally in Robin Island at night. There's a movie that you should look at the chance for YouTube. It's called Not Just the Game. This movie was financed by the sports team. What is what was the soccer team at the national? Uh, I forget. Not that but sound right. Sound right. But it's an international stuff. They financed this biographical movie of these young kids representing all of the guerrilla groups, all of the gangs, all of the whatnot on Parker Island. They fought each other, killed each other on the street. But when it came time in Robin Island, they fought like soccer. They are now the honorary soccer team of. South Africa, and this, they had, they had one of those soccer team games in Joburg, and the, and, the, and the group financed this movie. You will see the beauty, the beauty of our youth. These are teenagers. These are teenagers who brought South Africa to its knees, and that history has not yet been told. That history has not yet been told. 1963, when written, is the year of the high school kids in the African community. We hear about the student movement, college students in 1960, with the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee with SDS, you name 
I hope this all will help enable and empower him to do that. We need to hear that story. Long story short, back to Douglas South Two or three hundred page document, end of the week, where the discussions that they argument all night long, they won't come through by the Durban Declaration and Program of Action. Two or three hundred pages. Eighteen years later, I still got a problem with paragraph 13. One of those complicated, complex paragraphs they told me not to write in, in my English class in the early 60s in Chicago, that all them semicolons and colons and phrases and, you know, don't write one of those kinds of sentences. Along one, one sentence equal one paragraph, I forget how long. It had one little phrase or clause in it that says slavery and the slave trade are crimes against humanity and should have always been so. Excuse me, but I kind of got a suggestion on should have always been so. I have asked everybody I have met in every corner of the world, from kings and queens to gorillas to gangsters to UNESCO to UN, tell me two things. One, when did it become illegal? You say they are crimes against humanity. You don't say today, but that's what you mean. That one word missing is the key word. I, I'm here because I was born 71 years ago in Chicago in a hospital, and there's a birth certificate with a time, with dates, with information. I mean, maybe if I'd have been born 71 years earlier, I might not have a birth certificate. But you can document time when the nurse, the doctor says I came into this world and I cried. It's in my constitution. So you say these are crimes against humanity, they give me the time. I want to know the date, the time, the place in every country, in every corner of the world where they became crimes against humanity, not only against African people, but against all people in every corner of the world who have been enslaved. I have enough sense to know it didn't happen all at the same time, at the same moment, on the same day. I understand it's different, uneven development of different forces. Give me the timeline. Eighteen years later, I'm still demanding the timeline. But I don't sit and wait for somebody else to do my work. I got the timeline. I've spent 18 years trying to figure it out. The man who helped write the, 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 the paragraph, I asked him, sir, your excellency, why didn't you mention the word piracy? Anybody who does slave trade analysis, history 101, knows the connection between piracy and slavery back to 72 B.C. when Caesar was kidnapped, ransomed. He hung the ransom, he crucified him on the cross, and he eliminated piracy in the Mediterranean in three months. He had to, to keep the grain from Egypt and Sudan, feeding the elite of Rome. 200,000 people in Rome in 72 B.C. were getting free food, and it wasn't poor. It wasn't poor. And they had to make sure that the pirates did not ransack the ships 
taking the grain from Africa into Europe. Anybody who's read elementary Roman Caesarian history knows that. I'm a Mimican Knight of a piracy research group of 9,000 people headquartered at the University of Istanbul, Turkey, and I cannot speak Turkish. Because I know the so-called Barbary piracy in Algeria, who the United States signed treaties with when they first became the United States, were Turks who invaded Africa. They were not Africa. They were Turks. And they were the Barbary pirates of that time, raiding U.S. ships. You know, the Marine song down here, from the shores of Montezuma to the, what is it, the, the shores of Tripoli. That speaks about the Barbary pirates and their history. I'll do a little bit of research. We raise questions. I'm very honored that you're here today to welcome us to your land. Yeah. Your, it's clear land, but thank you. No problem. And to give us your ears to the discussion. You know, I raise the question, why don't you know your history? If they hadn't come here and took your life and committed genocide against me, I would be in Conakry, Guinea tonight. My favorite place, city in Africa. Floating through Akagala or in the Shabin in Joburg, South Africa, somewhere up in Mount Zimbabwe. I'd be articulated. I'd be somewhere in Africa if it had not been for the genocide committed against the indigenous peoples. And you still appear and you talk about you're going to build a wall to stop people from crossing one artificial fake border, part of their house, their land. This is madness to me. Maxim Dunbar Ortiz. And many of the indigenous scholarship throughout this country. There's a movement that has been afoot for more than 25 years. Since Tony Gonzalez and the International Indian Treaty Council went to the United Nations more than 25 years to discuss the doctrines of discovery, the bulls of discovery, and this gigantic movement financed by the Lutherans, the Episcopalians, the Bremen. I do a little bit of work demanding that Pope Francis and before him Pope Benedict repudiate and rescind the papal bulls of discovery, the papal bulls of demarcation. And they point to the treaty of the, the papal bull of demarcation, 1492, the treaty of Tordesillas, 1494, which legitimatized under the papal doctrine the invasion, colonization, and theft of indigenous land. My problem is that you cannot disconnect the tragedies that were committed against the Indian people without also talking about us. Yes, those treaties disaster for indigenous people. But if it were not for those treaties and the theft of that land, we would not be brought here to pick cotton and rice and sugar cane. So there's a point at which you cannot separate those histories from media. I understand this to be separated in some kind of way, indigenous people have their own dignity, their own history, their own sovereignty, and we must write that way. But we also have an obligation. We also have an obligation to write our history. When you really want to look at the paper bulls of 
missionary organization in every country in Europe who, under the implement of the Pope, fought to eliminate so-called Moorish North African colonization of Spain and Portugal. For 700 years, they fought to expel the Muslims from Spain from the Iberian Peninsula. And it was the Knights Templar, a Christian sort of third, who were created and financed by the church and the kings and queens and monarchies of Europe who fought to expel the Moors from Portugal around 1492 when Columbus came out and kicked the Jews out and kicked the Muslims out of Spain. We don't know that history. That history that is why we are standing here today. When the king of France, for some reason, they got to fight, he was thrown out. We talk about police brutality. We talk about mass arrest. When the king of France in 1312 or 1319 ordered the arrest of 3,000 knights Templars in every corner of France on the same day, and said, take the land, take the bank, take the treasury, the king of Portugal refused to do that. The king of Portugal knew that the knights Templar helped liberate Portugal from the so-called Moors invaders and colonizers. So he refused. He refused to arrest the Knights Templars of Portugal. He not only refused to arrest them, he aided and abetted and helped them. And he changed the organization to something called the Order of the Knights of Christ. Christopher Columbus was a member of the Order of Knights of Christ. Vasco da Gama was a member of the Knights of Christ. This was an elite semi-political, semi-governmental mercenary organization that did explorers, the discoverers in, in Africa, in Asia, and in America. And when you read that history of the age of exploration, the age of discovery, we need to do a little bit more because they are more than what they say they were. It was a mercenary gangster organization financed by the Catholic Church to go all over the world to find and route to Asia to get the silk and the porcelain and the incense. Because the Muslim forces who controlled the Mediterranean did not let them go from the Mediterranean and the Red Sea. But they went all around Africa to get there. And then the Pope said, this side of the world belongs to Spain. Everything the Pope gave, everything in the Western Hemisphere to Spain except Brazil. And gave everything on that side of the line to Portugal. That is why you see very few Spanish colonies in Africa. Yet you see Spanish colonies all over the Western Hemisphere. At one point in time, the United States was given it is because when Martin Luther nailed 95 theses on the wall in Germany, I know a little bit about my history, and launched the so-called Protestant Reformation, and within six to ten years, there were Protestant churches all over Northern Europe. See the Lutherans, with the Dutch Reformed. You know, I'm learning a little bit of history, and they said we do not that the Pope cannot run the world. We do not. Respect the Pope's position as a man. We want our colonies. We want our slaves. We want our land. And they started losing 
you about how they put guns upside King's head and said, you could either give us some slaves, give us some gold, or we will finance your younger brother to put a coup de power in here. It's a history to this, and we don't know it. So we have spent the last 18 years reading in between time, no money, no money, no Bible, no claim by no book, we go to the Russian website for free. And if your book ain't up on the Russian website for free, that means your book ain't nothing. So we're not paying $200 for a book filled with lies. It's not going to be. I spent my life fighting for black teachers. I, I got damn near kicked out of a lawyer. The Afrocentric teachers of Chicago. They came to have a memorial for an old man. And they fought for weeks over whether or not they would let me speak. And they finally let me speak. And then they just looked at me like I had Ebola. After I spoke and told the truth, it's like, hey, you know, uh, 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 uh. I told them three simple things. I never had a black teacher until I was 24 years old at Howard University, a master's degree in sociology. And I told them, these are distinguished teachers that I have. And none of y'all can make it. So I said, don't come, no, don't know me. Be your teacher. He ain't mine. History. You say you met him as a student. You say you met him as a mentor, as a mentee. You say, I met Andy Thompson the week of September 18, 1967, in high school today. Police shot point flag in the town, free throw switch. For four days. He was the white person. At that school, the top leadership in that area of Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, the Conference of Racial Equality, and the Disciple Gang. The head of the Disciple Gang, Yari Amir, ran all the criminal activities from 42nd Street on the south side of Chicago to 55th Street, 17 blocks east and west from the Robert Taylor Project to the Lakefront. Purse snatching, marijuana, contract murders. He did a contract murder. The, the uh, Lebanese Jordanian liquor store paid him to kill a Jordanian grocer. And the FBI said, I did it. To avenge the murder of Sirhan Sirhan, to show you how they lie. If anything, I might like Sirhan. Because I have problems with him. I don't hate him, but I don't believe in Camelot. If anything, this is a lie. And I told him, Yari Amir was one of Andy Thompson's best students. But it's a vice principal, but a disciplinarian. Whatever kid acts up, if they go to the A white principal in Chicago in 67 is a little gang territory. So everybody has to get the next thing sooner or later wound up in Andy And he's one of he's one of the teachers, you can tell that the teacher really loves kids. Despite all the problems they have in the classroom, despite all the chaos and confusion they have with the job, they're not packing their bags fifteen minutes before the bell rings. You know, they're hanging a little longer. You know, they, they, they put me, you know, they, they give, they, they, 
got to find a way, and you ain't this pedophilia, this, this other confusion that exists in some of these schools. You can tell when they love a kid. You know, when they come and say, hey, you read this book? They know he ain't going to read the book. They know they ain't going to get the book back. But they're hoping to give away 10 books, they'll find one. Who really, 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 you can tell. Andy was one of those people. I tell them, I don't know the exact date, time, and place for the man. I know the stuff that they think that he's going to Somebody got a record. Somebody got a case for me. Somebody got a And it is that case And I don't for whatever reason. For whatever reason, 52 years ago now, he was 33, I was 19. For some reason, this old man and I kept in touch with each other. Once a week, once a month, sometimes three or four times a day, you know. He supported me, I supported him. But we also bust and cuss and argued because we didn't agree. On Monday Wednesday. It was a moment for me. As a result of my failing 12 gangster helping to bail, I took him to an old woman who can raise the money. She can raise the money. I called up to an old man and said, look, I need $10,000. There's so many kids in jail. He said, we'll send the courier with the money. Johnny Johnson, the Johnson Trio. Johnny Johnson, Ebony Magazine, George Johnson, the Cadillac, Al Johnson, the Afro Shoes. She, you know, Cirillo McSween with the McDonald's, who was so broken money. He can we know them? They weren't going to give me the money. But I could go in the cab and pick up 10 grand, 20 grand cash. And go give it to Thomas Coleman, the ACLU lawyer who worked with us, and then we go and bail him out of jail. They go and say, you want this one, this one, this one, that one. Who do you say you are? They want him to Because when you put him in jail, you got to bail him out of jail. Like the Elijah Muhammad criticized Martin Luther King for putting youth in the street. I told Lil Swarcom when the Mega Man lost, you don't have shit to say. Because my family couldn't stop me from joining the movement. Elijah Muhammad, Malcolm X, and you can't stop me from joining the movement. I love King, I love Malcolm. Malcolm was wrong. And we were in the street. Didn't see your children nowhere. Yet the children who did the least struggle got the best reward. Why don't you just, you ain't got to thank us. Just don't think we don't know who struggled, who suffered, who got the reward. You mad at them? You can't stop the youth from going to the streets. The best you should try to do is make sure when they go to the streets, they can be as respectful.
abusive. They can be whatever they can. They're not silly over nonsense. If you have the capacity and the will to do that, then you, in fact, can help change the world. But you cannot, you cannot, you will never stop us from going to the We have a positive. It has received more than seven million dollars over the last twenty-five years to digitize the scholarship of basically fifty-eight contributors. These are fifty-eight contributors in the United States, Britain, and Australia, who are the established scholars on the slave trade. They have spent fifty some one old man seventy-five years writing dissertations. I mean, I have downloaded more than 1,000 dissertations for free on the slave trade. I got a machine that leaves them for me. This is the modern age. You can push a button on your computer and the computer will read the text aloud to you if you're blind or unable or whatnot. There are machines that will read the text for you and take notes for you. I just haven't figured out how when you type in Stoke Lagar Michael and you get 200,000 hits in three minutes. I just ain't figured out what to do with 200,000 hits of nonsense. That's only because I can't afford the big software. See, I ain't got it. So we are taking this Emory database. They have they have a database online for free, thirty six thousand two voyages, documenting it from nine hundred and fifty ports, seventeen countries in Europe, including Latvia and Russia. Did y'all know they were part of the slave trade? Which has the largest slave trade? I didn't. Gave me an excuse to write Putin. Gave me an excuse to write Putin, asking who's going to be the next president. Why should I be gambling? Who knows? If he can decide, why shouldn't I get an inside track? So I can know before the election who we're going to have to demonstrate against. If he has so much influence and so much power over the election. But that's just a sad <laughs> If you believe, if you believe Donald Trump is crazy, who cares? The crazy like a fuck. I leave it alone. I will touch Hillary or Condoleezza as another three-hour speech. I leave it alone. I just, you're right. Get back to the presentation. We have taken this database, 293 variables, we use 12 of them. The document out of 12.5 million people, according to their database, how many of us were illegally enslaved. Illegally enslaved, because that's the issue. 
We know we were enslaved. That's not an issue. We know we are suffering post-traumatic syndrome. You know, we haven't gotten, the Jewish people haven't gotten over the Holocaust. We haven't gotten over slavery. Irish ain't gotten over the potato family. Indians ain't gotten over the genocide. We know that. There are various efforts, good and bad, around the world to deal with these issues and these problems. We know that. Should have always been illegal? question. So we are trying to do basically seven letters to wind down. One letter is addressed to Pope Francis. Here you can link those picture stains and the current person of a given name of Tessie. Out of twelve point five million Africans who were enslaved according to the Enemy database. 7.8 million of them were enslaved by the Spanish and the Portuguese. We want to ask them one simple question. Did God make slaves in the world? Simple. Very controversial. It comes from an 1850s abolitionist focus by a man named Reverend John Fee. Reverend John Fee went to Divinity School at Lane Seminary, 40 students. Tonight, Lane Seminary, since 1950, was purchased by the Chicago Theological Seminary. I know Chicago Theological Seminary well. My, 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 my God's father, Reverend Dr. J. Archie Hargraves, we call him Socrates. Long story. He was the first full-time black professor at the Chicago Theological Seminary in 1968, thanks to the parish Party. And if you want a seminary degree in the city of Chicago from the five seminaries, you had to take at least one class on urban missions under Andy. Andy gave Andy Young his first paycheck from the United Church of Christ Urban Missions Department to work for SDLC. Andy Young got the five million, I mean, Archie got the five million from Ford Foundation for CT Vision to organize for religious affiliates. I know my history well. Archie Hargraves was accused of being the man who tamed the gangs in Brooklyn. I mean, in Brooklyn. In every, every man said, Rockefeller came and preached in his church and left him under the And the young one, Archie Hargraves, was the advisor to all the youth gangs in the Black Panther Party at the same time in the city of Chicago. This nonsense about a first rainbow coalition. We sat at Archie Hargrave's house on Sunday morning after the church with him cooking breakfast. And if you did not wash the dishes when your time come, guns came on the table. And so don't you think it's your time to wash the dishes today? We can document this. We know them. How can we not know them when we are in the same high school together? How can we not know them when we're in the same nonviolent ticket lines together? Martin Luther King, when he came to town in 1965, sent James Bevel to all four games to ask him to join the nonviolent demonstration. They beat Bevel within an inch of his life because he said he was nonviolent. They said, we test you. We know the gang. We know the gang leadership who walked the 
Chicago with Martin Luther King in 65 and 66. We walked with them. We know about the black, big black gang. So for Tom Mackie dancing at 2 o'clock in the morning, does anybody know him though he's big man? Yet we got an FBI file that gives us the list of all the license plates of all the people who came to the dance. The license plate, the name of the person who owned the car, the name of the person who we got here. There are pictures of Kwame Blossom doing his dance. Two o'clock in the morning, and the deacons for defense of justice told him, park your guns at the front door. And you get your guns when you leave. This is 1966. That's a history to them. Any city that has gang trouble, youth trouble, there are always elderly folks, church groups, missionary folks, youth workers, you know, police. You know, there are always some kind of a person, good or bad, who wants to work with youth, with troubled youth, who wants to stop them from killing each other, who wants to do this. There is nothing new about that. There are predators who come to recruit them. There are good people who come to liberate them, to empower them, to enable them, to help them. You can go in every city in this country, in the world. You can go to Newberry Library in the city of Chicago and get the gang intelligence and the Red Squad files from 1930 to 1974. Every corner, every school, every people saying that the people at that time And we're under that system. And if you have some sense of the history, some sense of how this little school over here can become the incubator for the top leadership of the game. The top leadership of the Blackstone Rangers come out of this school. The top leadership of the, of the Disciple Gang come out of this school. The White Lords are over here. You know, the Panthers are here. It, 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 it's something. It, it ain't just possible. And if you're serious about doing some serious original research and serious analytical research, you will attempt to do that. Because if you find out what happened then, you might be able to impact much better on what is happening now. It's just common sense. I just don't understand why it's so difficult for us to understand. So we are back to John D. He said God made no slaves in the world. He was asked by the Presbyterian Church and the American Missionary Association in 1850 to write a manual to train all of the Presbyterian divinity students in the South in the 1850s with an anti-slavery argument. He was financed by the Capitol Lovers, a man named Cassius M. Clay. Muhammad Ali's slave master, family, gave him the money to set up Berea College in Berea, Kentucky. There was no Texas to know nothing about. When the slave master comes to him and says, My slave was born a slave, he asked the question, Who made her a slave? Did God make her a slave? If God did not make her a slave, how can you make her a slave? Yeah, my, my, my slave master, I, you know, I bought it in the law. If God did not make the law, how can civil law make them a slave? Very powerful set of arguments. Very powerful set of arguments.
Christian theology at the same time as earlier in Latin America. You started to look at every country, Spanish and Portuguese speaking in the Americas. You received the fuck up of what they call free room laws. This country passed a law in 1811. I think it was Argentina on one of them. I'm the exact. I got them written down. But I'm 71. My memory ain't that good. But you can go for you can go country by country, Spanish speaking, Portuguese speaking, from 1811 to to Portugal, you know, to Brazil. I'm sorry, in the 1880s, and you will see all of these what they call free room laws. We don't choose to free the old people. You know, we can't free nobody who's born, who's labor we need, but a child in a womb. A child in a womb is born. They're called the free Clause. And the American version, the U.S. version of the church, Protestant, borrowed it from what I call liberation theology in the Catholic countries in the Americas at that point in time. How? Did God make a slave in the world? Because if God made our slaves in the womb, it's all right to abort them. It's all right to kill them. We want a quick war. We want a serious discussion about the right to life. You want a serious discussion? We are not human beings. We are slaves in the womb. You can do whatever you want to do with us. Bring it on. Tell a kid in Chicago with, with Mac, Mac 9 and machine guns. God made these slaves. Tell my grandson that question. You know, just, just tell us this. Just, just reframe it. If the indigenous people can ask for the paper bulls to be defended and repudiated, why can't we? Roxanne Dunbar Ortiz got a brilliant book out. I forget the name of it. It's just been translated to the children's version into the Spanish version. Brilliant in terms of looking at those paper bulls from an indigenous perspective. Why can't we? To wrap it up real quick, as a 23 year old kid in Portugal, I just Googled and found him. Nice looking, pudgy little kid. His daddy was the last king of Portugal. You know, they abandoned the monarchy, you know, you got to be a president. His father's still alive, so he's the heir apparent to the monarchy. He's standing. You know, with his cape on under this emblem of the order of the Knights of Christ. He is running for election to the order of the Knights of Christ. Only the Pope can make him the Grand Master. If he becomes the Grand Master, then he wants to put a power play to change the Portuguese constitution so he can become the next president. What are you going to do with the slaves? I'm going to see him. I'm going to see him. And I'm going to ask him, do you know the crime war crime is committed against us? Against the indigenous people? If you become the new grand master, are you going to be the slave of us? There are people outside your door who are hungry who want liberation. You want me to open the door and let them in? You want me to open the door to let the hungry people in? Because 
because you're not fighting to be the grand master of nothing. What is it that you want to be the grand master of? Us again? That's one that's talk about it. And we will use the paper board. We will use the treaties. We will use the laws. Just to give you one law on the British don't stop. In seventeen eighty eight the British did a law on tonnage. It said that if your ship is under two hundred and seven tons, you could only have one point six seven Africans on board. Talk about it. If your ship is two hundred and eight tons or more, you could only have one. I call it the elevator ordinance. Every room got a capacity sign. This room can only, this elevator can only have this capacity. Mayor Bailey used to set our meetings down because we had more than one person's capacity. He told the fire department and they counted people to shut down. I told him the elevator capacity so all you have to do is see the spreadsheet, the number of tonnage, the number of Africans on the ship, the percentage over capacity. If you one tenth of one hundred or one percent over capacity, that ship is illegal. Shut it down. Shut it down. We will use every law, every trick in the book to prove how many of us were illegally enslaved. All Spanish. They claim. Spanish flagships transported 1.1 million, I found 100,000 more, from Africa. No Spanish flag was permitted to sail into an African harbor, thanks to the, the paper bull and the treaty. So therefore, already, 1 million of us were illegally enslaved. Come on. Or you explain the Spanish flag. Come on. Just explain the flag. That's possible. This is what we're trying to do, to do this research on 17 countries in Europe where the transatlantic advanced I'm finished, was organized. Nine regions which cover the overwhelming majority of the countries so-called Africa, South and Sahara. Every country in Europe. Every country in Every country. Every country. Every country. As the queen, and we want to know why wasn't it always in the We did it to the Irish. We did it to these people. We did it to these people. Bishop Bartholomew was coffers helped free the Indians and then put us in slaves. Thank and enable and empower a new generation of youth. Come on, talk about that. To write the history. Come on, man. Yes. We're talking about a new master narrative. Yes. Of right. the history. Yes. Properly interpreted from a human, from a people perspective. And we're talking about a new generation of human on my life for PhD, I'm now fighting the fire. Come on, you better preach that right there. And I got a yes. computerized list of PhDs who need to hand me their diploma. Because they are either ignorant of history, that's too damn lazy to learn it, or 
that he's engaged in um, has long history. And um, the thing that struck me was how long he's been involved in that liberation struggle. It goes back, uh, you know, as, uh, you, you know, to the, um, uh, to the sixties. And, uh, and I think it, and I think something that people might not be aware of that I thought was very important was the role that the youth has have played in our struggle historically at all levels, even uh, as young as high school, as he indicated correctly. And, uh, and, and they, and they were the ones that kind of like, you know, were instrumental in paving, uh, paving the way uh, for much of the, the current political uh, leadership and academic leadership that is us now. So I thought that was a very uh, significant uh, that reaction, uh, you, you know, that point he made, and also I think that that point he made too was the fact that uh, that uh, that 
that that almost all uh, all countries uh, in the world have laws against human trafficking and enslavement. So uh, so there's no uh, so there is no uh, legal rationale for uh, for our uh, dispersal and enslavement, you know, in the Western Hemisphere. Okay, brother, Anthony, stay there. We're going to our next caller. Also, we'll bring in Brother Moses. Based upon what you have heard, he's also one of the analysts and contributors of Africa on the Move. Um, brother Moses, your reaction to Brother Bob's presentation? Yes, I thought Brother Anthony pointed out some good points uh, about the youth, etc. Um, these are the same youth that started with the Civil Rights Movement and and uh, ended in the Black Panther Party and different organizations. And uh, he pointed that out. Uh, I I had a hard time hearing some of it, uh, but he, but he was he's definitely well researched and uh, and as a good contributor to the struggle of our people. And we will be we will be. Uh, well advised to read this book uh, and uh, and enlighten ourselves as to the movement. Thank you. Hi, Brother Moses. Going to one that listening audience for tonight. Your last phone number caller is 0782. Caller 0782. Your comments to today's program. Yes, caller 0782. Okay, let's call. Let's come back later. So call 072. May I pass up to you, say. Let's go to call 9435. Welcome to Africa on the Move. Your response to Barbara's presentation tonight. God makes no slave in the womb. Call 9435. The mic is yours. Call 9435. Question or comment? Once call nine four three five. Okay, we can go to nine four three five. Let's go to the next caller then. Hi, right, caller. Your last phone number is five eight two seven. Your comment on today's program. Five eight two seven. You have any questions or comments? Okay, we thought these callers might have had questions. So what we're going to do right now, we're going to a station break, and we come back, we're going to make some closing remarks for tonight's program. We're going to pause for the call, and we'll be right back. This is a special edition of Africa on the Moon.
to a special episode of Africa on the Move. We just recently heard a presentation by Mr. Bob Brown, organizer for the All African Peoples Revolutionary Party GC. He is giving an update on the progress of a new book and the launch of a worldwide movement. The book title going to be God Make No Slaves in the Womb, The Trafficking Trade. In and enslavement of African people are and will crimes against humanity. What we're going to do right now, we're going to give you a little backdrop about who is Brother Bob, just a little bit about his background, and then when we come back, we're going to finally open our lines up for any final closing thoughts for tonight. If you have something to say about the program tonight, please hit one now. Hit one, and we will acknowledge. Your last four numbers, please hit one. Let's just talk just a little bit about Mr. Brown. Bob Brown is a researcher and a writer, lecturer, and organizer. He has served the student, civil rights and human rights, pan-African and socialist peace, anti-repression, and other movements for 55 years. He is a former member of the Chicago Chapter of the Congress of Racial Equality, former director of the Midwest Office of the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, supporter of the Mississippi Freedom Democratic Party and the Lawrence County Freedom Organization, and founder and former member of the Illinois Chapter of the Black Panther Party. He has worked with and supported hundreds of local, national, and international movements, organizations, and parties. Among his many responsibilities, he has served as a national coordinator for the Third World Outreach for the Mobilization for Survival and the One Million Plus June the 12th Disarmament Demonstration at the United Nations in 1983 and National Director for Logistics and Operations for the 1.2 Million Man March in 1995, and National Coordinator for the Companion of 3.2 Million Stay at Home Campaign. He was advised and consorted with the President's Department and Faculty at Shaw University, Howard University, the Center for Inner City Studies at Northeast Illinois University, Denver University, Monroe Morehouse College, Spelman College, and other preschool, elementary school, and high schools and college, colleges. He has, spent, he has helped organize and advise GD University Without Walls, University Behind the Walls, University of the Streets, small schools, universities, work study, and other alternative education programs. That's just a little something about Brother Bob. Brother Anthony, do you have something you want to add to the background of Mr. Bob Brown? Uh, yes. Uh, yes. Uh, in 2005, he published the book Slavery and the Slave Trade Were and Are Crimes Against Humanity, a model of freedom of information guide, who, what, where, when, and why. 
and um, and his pre- current project is an enlargement of that uh, uh, of that work, and it came uh, and it, uh, and it, and it came based upon his research, and after uh, his participation in the World Conference Against uh, Racism. Uh, which he had mentioned on his presentation. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, thoughts, we like to let our listeners always know that if they would like to hear this program again, they can always go to the AAPRPGC website. That's the a-aprp.gc.org. Go to that website, and it will be posted on that particular website. If you have any questions, information about that organization, you can email them at info at a dash a p r p dot c c dot o or or call one two 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 four six four eight nine six to find out more about that organization. It's an international pan African political party. It's a party you need to get to know. Check out the website. So, brother Anthony, brother Moses, um, just your final thoughts for tonight. Start with you, Brother Moses. Your final thoughts for tonight. Well, it's been a very interesting program. Uh, I look forward to the book. Uh, I I have read the first book. Uh, uh, I was very enlightened. I told I told Brother Bob after I read it that uh, I had to wake up and smell the coffee. Uh, uh, it was very enlightening, and I, I thank him for that work. Uh, it was uh, uh, tactful and great use of the Freedom of Information Act and other things. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Brother Anthony, your final thoughts for the night. And just briefly tell us a little something about the AAPRPGC. How can people know sure. more about it, a little something about the organization, and why Pan-Africanism is such an important objective for African people around the world, for Africans okay. around the world. All right, certainly. Well, I'll start off by stating that I think it's very important that uh, that people support uh, uh, Bob Brown's uh, research and work and that they get involved in an organization that is working for people's uh, liberation. Uh, because as Malcolm X taught us, uh, hi- uh, history is one of the subjects that best rewards our research. I would uh, say that the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC, is a mass independent pan-African political party uh, whose objective is pan-Africanism, the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. We carry on in, uh, uh, in, the, um, in the work and practices of Asashi for Kwame Nkrumah, Ahmed Sekou and Kwame Ture. Uh, Kwame Nkrumah called for the formation of the All-African People's Revolutionary Party in 1967 in the Handbook of Revolutionary Warfare. For more information, please visit our website at www.a-aprp-gc.org or call us at 202 202- Two four six four eight nine six. All right, we'd like to thank you, Brother Anthony and Brother Moses, and everybody for their participation, for those who allow us the opportunity to come to your homes. What I want to do right quickly is make a couple of announcements. 
one of the other organizations in that community that is doing work to help advance the forward progress of our people and their upcoming activities. And we'd like to encourage uh, our people and all progressive and freedom-loving people to help them and support them. That organization is the African Awareness Association. They will be taking a freedom ride trip. They will be taking a a solidarity tour for the people in Cuba from October the 31st to November the 6th. There will be a solidarity conference taking place in Havana for November the 1st and the 3rd. They are organizing a delegation where you can go. If you want to travel with them, please go and check their website at www.aaa-cubatours.com or you can email them at African Awareness Association 2 at Gmail. We come and tell you, go and see Cuba. Cuba is an alternative to what you are living today, which we call capitalism. Cuba has a lot to learn, and we have a lot to learn from the Cuban Revolution. Go and support our brothers and sisters. Come and join the African Awareness. You have to October 1st to confirm and book your ticket. The second thing the African Awareness Association will be doing is they'll be hosting and organizing the first Richmond International Pan-African Festival, which will take place on October the 27th in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, call 804-549-7492 or 202-714-9435. Come support that particular festival. They need your help. You can make your contribution to to help develop the festival by going to GoFundMe. Go to for Go to GoFundMe and type in Richmond First Pan-African International Festival and make your contribution and help that organization, the African Wellness Association. It's a Pan-African institution. It's a festival where we talk, calling for all of our brothers and sisters to come together and let's get, get together and figure out how we can organize collectively to free and unite and create a socialist Africa so every African around the world would be strong and stronger. So on the note, those are our two announcements. You've been listening to Brother Africa as the host. We'd like to remind you again, we invite you every Sunday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, U.S., to listen to Africa on the Move. You always can do that just by picking up on you, picking up your phone and dialing one three two three six seven nine. 0841, or you can go online and go to slash and just type in Africa dash on dash the dash move. So until next time, we're going to leave you with some sounds of sweet liberation. And let's always remember to subscribe to go forward, ever, backward, never. You've been listening to a special edition of Africa on the Move with a presentation by Brother Bob Brown, organizer for the All African Peoples. Revolutionary Party GC. And remember, God makes no slaves in the room. We see you Sunday. You've been listening to Africa on the Moon. Identity.
the jobs don't never pay enough. So the rent always be late. Can you relate? No more bondage, no more political monsters, no more secret space launches. Government departments started it in the projects, material objects, thousands up in the closets. Could have been invested in the future for my comrades. Battle contacts, primitive weapons out in combat. Many never come back, pretty niggas be running with gas. Rather get shot in they back than fire back. We're tired of that, corporations hiring black. Denying the facts, exploiting us all over the map. That's why I write the shit I write in my rap. It's documented, I meant it. Every day of the week, I live in it, breathing it. It's more than just fucking believing it. I'm holding in ones, rolling up my sleeves and shit. It's C-Lo for push-ups now. Many headed for one conclusion. Niggas ain't ready for revolution. Your average black male, live a third of his life in a jail cell. Cause the world is controlled by the white male. And the people don't never get justice. And the women don't never get respected And the problems don't never get solved And the jobs don't never pay enough So the rent always be late Can you relate? We living in a police state